Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Ship show. Earlier this morning, the government released the December non-farm payrolls report, aka the jobs number. But rather than start with that, I want to talk about another number that was released at the exact same time that unfortunately gets very little attention in the media. In fact, nobody has really paid attention to this number since the late 1980s early 1990s. And of course, I am talking about the trade deficit. Now, in fact, when Donald Trump ran for office, he actually made the trade deficit an issue in his campaign, which was quite rare. In fact, the president said that America was losing on trade and and he was correct, but he promised that if he was elected, we would be winning on trade. Well, we just got the number for November And it was the biggest trade deficit in almost six years, $50.5 billion. Now, what's more important than that number is if you look beneath the surface of a number that's bad and it gets a lot worse, if you take out oil, and America is still a net importer of oil, but if you just focus on the rest of the trade deficit, it was an all-time high, the biggest monthly trade deficit ever we finally broke the record that I believe was set when, uh, when Bush was president. But think about this, because oil prices were pretty low in 2017, right? We just started to rise. In fact, we closed the year above $60 a barrel for the first time in four years. So imagine how much higher these trade deficits are going to be if the price of oil returns to 80 to $100, which is where it was uh, earlier in that year, where it dropped uh, below $60 a barrel. In fact, I think that's exactly where it's headed. Also, look at what's happening with the dollar. You know, the dollar fell last year for the first time in five years. And in fact, it was the largest annual decline in 14 years, if you measure it against the dollar index. 
But look at the Chinese yuan. The dollar fell by the most against the yuan in nine years. And in fact, I think we're going to hit an all-time record low for the dollar against that currency next year. Now, if you remember, when the year began, all of the strategists on Wall Street were universally bullish on the dollar and bearish on everything, including the RMB. A lot of people were shorting the Chinese currency. In fact, they were as bearish or as bullish on the dollar back then as they are on U.S. stocks right now. And of course, the markets did the opposite of what they expected. But if oil prices keep rising and the dollar keeps falling, that is going to put even more upward pressure on an already rising U.S. trade deficit. You know, the articles that do cover the trade deficit, when they write about it, they always mention the fact that the deficit is widening despite uh, the weakening dollar. The expectation is that the weak dollar should be helping, that it should be making America's products more competitive and therefore shrinking the trade deficit. Now, maybe in theory, it works that way, but not in practice, not in reality, certainly not for the United States. Because what happens in America is when the dollar goes down, the trade deficits go up. You know, under George Bush, you had a sinking dollar and you had soaring trade deficits. The reason is that when the dollar goes down, Americans have to spend more to pay for their imports. Now, in theory, right, if imports become more expensive, you just substitute domestic alternatives. But Americans don't have, uh, you know, that ability. There are no American alternatives to most of the products that we import because we don't make them anymore. So if the dollar goes down, it simply forces Americans to pay higher prices for the imported goods that they have no other choice but to buy. Now, when it comes to exports, the theory is, well, a lower dollar will make American exports more competitive. The problem is you have to produce something before you can export it. And so if we're not producing the goods that foreigners want to buy, the fact that the dollar is cheaper doesn't help our exports. So this is going to compound the problem for the, the trade deficit, rising oil prices, other commodity prices that are just breaking out, and a dollar that has only just begun uh, to fall. Now let me get to the, the jobs numbers that came out, and this is where we got all the headlines, all the media coverage. And, you know, Donald Trump was out there. Of course, he's ignoring uh, the, the stronger trade deficit, but he wants to take credit for all the job creation, particularly the unemployment rate, which is at 4.1%, which is a big drop from where it was uh, when he came into office. I think it was still above five. And Donald Trump is claiming credit for the unemployment rate having fallen while he was the president. Remember, this is the same Donald Trump who, when he ran for office, said that the 5% number that Obama was bragging about was a hoax, a con, a phony. Well, he's perpetrating the same hoax right now by, by portraying these phony numbers as if they mean any, every, anything significant. In fact, if you look at raw job creation, remember, Trump promised to be the greatest jobs president God ever created. And if you look at the first year of job creation, under the Trump presidency, it is the weakest in six years, meaning we have created fewer jobs this year than we had in any over the last six. That means that we have created fewer jobs than any of the years of Obama's second term in office. Now, his first term, he came in and, you know, the economy was in recession, right? We we're in the Great Recession. So it's more fair to compare Trump's first term to Obama's second term, not his first term. 
right? Remember, Donald Trump was highly critical of the job creation under Obama, yet the job creation so far under Trump is actually even worse. And yes, we have had a continuation of the trend that was going on under President Obama of a falling unemployment rate, but it's falling for the same reasons now that it was falling then. You have people leaving the labor force, so labor force participation is low, and you have more and more people accepting part-time jobs or working multiple part-time jobs. So that is the real reason that the unemployment rate is falling. And Donald Trump knows this because when Donald Trump was president, he talked about that himself. But of course, he uh, when he was candidate, rather. But now as president, he conveniently forgets all the, the issues that he campaigned on. Now, of course, the president is talking a lot about the uh, about the tax cuts. Oh, wait, before I get to that, I, I, let me get to the numbers from the jobs report because they were expecting about 200,000 jobs to be created uh, for December, which was the final month of last year. Of course, a lot of people were looking for a surprise, whisper numbers well above 200,000. Instead, we only created 148,000 jobs. So the final uh, month of uh, December uh, was not nearly as strong as everybody had thought. But I think the bad news for Trump could be that 2017 ends up being the high watermark uh, for job creation, because I think that it could be downhill from there, even though we're not starting uh, on, on, on a high hill to begin with, because I see a lot of problems for the economy that most people are now overlooking. And one of the reasons that so many people are overlooking these problems is because they're so excited and they've been distracted by what's happening on Wall Street and by the tax cuts. And of course, the tax cuts are one of the reasons that traders are so excited because they're imagining all this economic growth and all this profit growth that is supposedly going to be flowing as a result of these tax cuts. But one thing that's going to be flowing is red ink. The tax cuts are going to produce much bigger increases in the annual budget deficits than is generally perceived, even though the Republicans will admit that there's an extra $1.5 trillion of deficits over the next 10 years, although some believe that growth will, uh, will offset some of that. But the numbers that they use show $1.5 trillion. I believe those numbers are, are way below. I think that more people are going to use the tax code. They're going to take advantage of some of the loopholes that have been opened up. People are going to rearrange their affairs, and they're going to try to qualify for a lot of these tax breaks I don't think that's been factored in. I also think a lot of the states are going to try to find ways around the limitations on the SALT deductions, and so the government is not going to raise anywhere near as much revenue there as they believe. So I think the impact on the deficits is going to be much bigger. And so if we have a return of the twin deficits as a problem in 2018, I'm talking about the budget deficits and the trade deficits, right? Twin deficits. You know, the last time that was a big problem was in 1987. What happened in 1987? We got a stock market crash. I know that was just over 20 years ago, but what was happening back then reminds me a lot of what's happening now. You know, we had the stock market roaring, right? Everybody was confident, but people were overlooking these gigantic problems until they couldn't overlook them anymore. And then it ended in a spectacular crash because, you know, the weakness in the dollar and the rising trade deficits were putting upward pressure on interest rates. Now, thus far, we haven't really seen that in the long end of the yield curve, although short rates have been going up. Of course, the Fed has been helping 
uh, by gradually raising interest rates. But I do believe that sometime in 2018, maybe early on, the weakness in the dollar is going to push Treasury yields higher. And we will be having uh, an increase in interest rates, which could be an even bigger factor this time than it was in 1987. Not that the rates will likely get as high as they were back then, but that the percentage move will be that much greater. Think about where we're starting from. And of course, the entire premise that's underlying today's stock market values is based on how low interest rates are and how low everybody believes interest rates are going to stay. Well, if interest rates go up, then that bubble gets pricked. And a weak dollar and higher, uh, higher trade deficits and higher budget deficits could do a lot uh, to provide that, that pin. In fact, if you look at the measured inflation, I think we're looking at six-year high. Uh, we got the producer prices. I think the last report we got was up 3.1% year over year. We're seeing these building prices. By the way, you know, the wages in the U.S. during 2017, average raises, wages were up just 2.5% uh, for the entire year. Again, that is very uh, mediocre wage growth. And if you factor in consumer prices, and not just you know what the government reports in the CPI, but the actual prices that those wage earners are having to pay for the things that they buy, uh, real wages were down. And prices, price increases are accelerating uh, this year already. Gas prices going up, food prices going up, insurance prices going up. You know, not just health insurance prices, which are actually going to rise even faster as a result of these tax cuts than they were rising before. Uh, but you're going to see big increases in uh, property and casualty insurance based on massive losses last year for the insurance companies based on hurricanes, floods, and fires. Uh, so a real increase in the cost of living uh, for Americans and the wage growth is not going to keep pace. In fact, we could start to see more layoffs in 2018. That's already started in the retail sector. In fact, retail saw job losses in December. More job losses are coming this month, next month, as a lot of stores are going out of business. And of course, this is going to be even more problematic. A lot of states are raising minimum wages, making it higher uh, for these stores to hire uh, unskilled or low-skilled workers at the same time. Uh, rising prices, rising interest rates are going to make it harder for their customers to afford to buy the products they're buying. And more and more of them are, are resorting to Amazon or online retailers because they're trying to pay the lowest price possible uh, because you know their savings are down. In fact, we got the savings rate that came out, I think it was in the last week or two, uh, the lowest it's been also in, I think, uh, six years or so, maybe more. I forget the exact amount, but Americans are depleting their savings, credit card debt, student loans, auto loans at all-time record highs. That is not good news for retailers, right? If your customers are broke and leveraged to the hilt, uh, then they can't buy very much. I guess the only customers who are still flush are people who have money in an overvalued U.S. stock market. But again, just because it's overvalued now doesn't mean it's going to stay there. You know, when you look at all the coverage that we have right now on the financial media, I haven't seen anything like this probably since uh, just before the last crisis, 2006, 2007. Everybody was optimistic on the market then. Of course, they were optimistic in 1999, 2000, just before that plunge. But, you know, the, the, the exuberance could be even more irrational now than it was then because people have to overlook even larger problems today 
than the problems that they overlooked back then. You know, one of the main differences between uh, the coverage uh, back in 2006, 2007 and today is that I'm not part of it. You know, I'm watching a lot of these guys that I used to debate with, a lot of the Republican cheerleaders like Art Laffer on television constantly talking about how great the economy is, how great the market is, how it's going to keep going up. This is exactly what these guys were saying back in 2006, 2007. Now, I was warning them back then. In fact, what I was so afraid of when I was going on television with these guys back then was that when the market crashed, the Republicans would take the blame that the free market would take the blame, that capitalism was taking the blame, because these guys were out there talking about how great capitalism was, how great the free market is, and then, of course, everything collapsed. Well, the same thing is going to happen this time, and now the blame is going to be placed on the free market, on capitalism. They're going to blame the tax cuts. You know, not only does Donald Trump own the stock market bubble and the Republican Party, but they now own the economy. By passing these tax cuts, and assuring the public how great everything was going to be as a result of these tax cuts, when we go into a bear market, when we go into a recession, they will be blamed. It's not that it's their fault. I mean, this recession was inevitable. It was going to happen anyway, whether they cut taxes or not. But since they did this, they now claimed ownership of the economy. They can't blame it on Obama anymore. If the market goes down, they can't blame that on Obama. Of course, the real culprit has been the Fed. But the problem is the reckless monetary policies under Bernanke and Yellen are far worse than what Greenspan did. And so the bubble that um, that Trump has inherited from Obama is much bigger than the bubble uh, that Bush inherited from Clinton. You know, you've got to go back to the original premise of my book of, of Crash Proof. What, what did, I, did I write about in that book? And I, I wrote that book mostly in 2006. It came out in early 2007. And by the way, this year, 2018, is the strongest start for the stock market in a year since 2006. Right? And of course, I was writing that book and I was you know, hoping my book would come out in time you know, for, for the crash because I, you know, I didn't know maybe everything was going to fall apart while I was still writing. But if you go back and remember... Uh, my premise. I wrote that the Federal Reserve, because it kept interest rates too low for too long, had inflated a housing bubble. And that because of that housing bubble, there were a lot of economic distortions, that a lot of money had been spent based on the wealth effect, and that a lot of loans had been uh, issued based on overpriced collateral. And I wrote that when the housing bubble popped and real estate prices fell, that we would have the worst recession since the Great Depression, that banks would lose a lot of money on bad mortgages. And so some banks would fail. I wrote that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac would go bankrupt. I wrote that the economy would contract because a lot of the spending that was associated with the wealth effect and home equity loans would go away. And that's why we would have this deep recession. I wrote that unemployment would top 10% and that budget deficits would reach $1 trillion per year. All of that happened. Now, what I also wrote in that book was that in response to this, to this great recession and this financial crisis, the Federal Reserve would repeat the very mistakes that caused it, that it would print a bunch of money, it would slash interest rates even lower, and try to reflate the bubbles 
that had just popped in the stock market and in the real estate market. And the consequence of that monetary policy would be a dollar crisis and a big increase in domestic inflation. That is the only thing that hasn't happened yet, but it's about to happen. What I didn't necessarily understand back then is how long the lag would be between the policy that I knew that they would enact in the aftermath of the crisis they created and the the end result of that policy. And in fact, one of the reasons that I didn't uh, foresee that long a, a lag was because I thought that they would just attempt to reflate the bubbles. I didn't think that they would succeed. In fact, they have succeeded in a spectacular way. They have managed to reflate larger bubbles than the ones that popped. That is why the crisis that we're headed to is going to be so much worse than the one that we left behind, because we have bigger problems. We have had lower rates for longer. The bubbles are bigger. There's a lot more air that has to come out. And all of the people right, who didn't see the crisis coming in 06 and 07 that I just mentioned are all on CNBC or Fox or CNN or Bloomberg. They're all on there again talking about how great everything is, how there's no problems anywhere on the horizon, that it's clear sailing forever. These are Now they're on again singing the same old song. But it's the same problems now that they ignored back then, only much, much bigger. The difference being, it's not going to end with just another financial crisis. It is going to end with the dollar crisis that I have been warning about for years. And it's going to be that much worse because the dollar is that much more overvalued. And because of the delay, we have been able to screw the economy up even more. We have been able to go even deeper into debt. We have made even bigger economic mistakes. The economy is even more vulnerable now. The government has more debt. Corporations are more levered. The whole economy now is more vulnerable than it was back then. So if you thought the Great Recession of 2008 was bad, where do you see what's coming? And politically, this is the real problem. You see, Bush was able uh, to stay in office for two terms because when the stock market bubble popped early in his first term, the Fed was able to reflate or inflate the real estate bubble to buy Bush a second term. There is no way that the Fed is going to be able to inflate a bubble big enough to reelect Trump or uh, the, the Republican Congress. I think they're going to get blamed for this mess. I think the recession that we enter, uh, maybe this year, maybe next, we'll still be in it in the 2020 election. And again, it's all going to be blamed on tax cuts for the rich and tax cuts for the corporations, right? It's going to be that Trump was uh, handed a perfect economy from Obama and he screwed it all up that the Republicans have once again driven the car into the ditch. That's the way Obama used to to portray it. And what's going to be the solution? The solution is going to be to put a Democrat back in charge, uh, to have Democrats in Congress. We need more government, less free markets. We need to have higher taxes. The the exact wrong medicine, right? And, And of course, we're going to continue with the same failed policies of the Federal Reserve. You know, Donald Trump potentially had a chance Uh, to change the game, but instead he nominated somebody who's exactly like Janet Yellen, except a Republican instead of a Democrat. So instead of doing political things for Obama, he's going to do political things for Trump. The problem is it's going to be too difficult to task. The, The economy is so screwed up. The Fed has already used up all of its bullets. I think 
the money that it prints now, the next round of quantitative easing, it's not going to be good for the stock market. It's just going to be good for the commodity market. It's not going to push up asset prices. It's going to push up the prices of real goods that Americans have to buy. It's going to be the CPI that's going to go up. Also, we're finally going to see the Fed lose control of interest rates. And that's going to be another uh, uh, index that people are going to be talking about that they haven't talked about in a long time. And that is the misery index. That's when you add the inflation rate to the unemployment rate and I think to interest rates to get the level of misery uh, that is being experienced by the U.S. Uh, uh, citizen. And that's going to be back in vogue, I think, by the 2020 election because they're all going to be going up. Unemployment, inflation, interest rates, despite the Fed's best efforts to contain them. And in fact, as the Federal Reserve has to print more and more money to try to stop interest rates from rising, it just throws gasoline on the fire. Because to do that, it has to print more dollars. And by printing more dollars that nobody wants, it makes the dollar go down, makes inflation goes up, and that puts even more downward pressure uh, on, on, on the dollar and upward pressure on interest rates. In fact, the same thing is going to happen with these trade deficits. Because as the dollar weakens because of a large trade deficit, the trade deficits get bigger. It becomes a self-perpetuating spiral that can only end one way, and that's going to be in a crisis. And again, it's going to be a currency crisis, not a garden variety financial crisis. It is going to have much more profound uh, impact on the standard of living of the average American and on the real value of investor portfolios. So while people are all excited about the gains in the U.S. stock market, just think back to how excited you were in 1999, 2000, or 1996, 1997, if you were invested in U.S. stocks, and think about what happened. And the last two times Americans were this excited, or almost this excited, the stock market got cut in half. The difference is the next time the Fed may not be there to be able to resurrect another bull market. They may be out of bubbles to blow, and we're finally going to overdose on stimulus. This is what I have been warning about for years. And the fact that it's taking so long, a lot of people have now decided that it's never going to happen, that trees can grow to the sky, that it doesn't matter about the deficits, it doesn't matter uh, about, about the money printing or any of the fundamental problems or the artificially low interest rates. But don't let time lull you into a false sense of complacency. It's exactly when investors least expect something to go wrong that it does. And, you know, people buying the U.S. stock market, they better hope that Murphy was wrong. Because Murphy said anything that can go wrong will go wrong. Believe me, there are a lot of things that can go wrong right now. And only one has to happen. But as far as I'm concerned, many are going to happen. And so the important thing to do right now is to be prepared, be prepared financially, make sure that your assets are invested properly, that you steer clear of the U.S. dollar. This is the beginning now of a major, major dollar bear market. I think it's going to be much bigger than the dollar bear market that we had under Bush. I think it's going to be bigger than the dollar bear market that we had in the 1970s. And I think that was the biggest dollar bear of them all. And I think we're going to take that out. I think we're starting a new bull market in commodities, which could be the biggest bull market yet, especially for precious metals like gold and silver. So make sure that you have your exposure there. And that's all for now. Bye-bye. Thank you.